Before we get going into your Hockey IQ podcast episode, I want to thank our sponsor, Rapid Shot. Rapid Shot is the smart shooting lane. Uh, it's like a batting cage for hockey players. Very cool. Tracks your shot in three ways. Accuracy, shot speed, and reaction time. Uh, easy to use. Uh, actually, I used it when I played and was growing up. Very easy. Simply scan your phone in, select your settings, and start shooting. Uh, you can see your stats on the app and online. And you can check them out at rapidshot.com. Uh, great small business. I actually grew up with one of the owner's sons and have played with all the family members by now. Uh, just in local pickups here in Ohio. Very cool local business. Awesome product. I love it. I know quite a few NHLers have them in their homes. Uh, a lot of D1 programs have it at their rinks. So you have to check this out. Rapidshot.com. Check it out. Rapidshot, thank you so much for sponsoring our podcast. On the Hockey IQ podcast, they would bring on Alyssa Gag. I already screwed up. Galliardi. Yeah, Gallardi. Gallardi. Okay. See, yeah. I, I'm the king of uh, mispronouncing <laughs> names, and I always feel terrible about it. I well, know I know the, the, the extra G there kind of throws everyone off. So, no problem. Absolutely. Well, I'm excited to have you on. Uh, you and I are both people who were born in Pittsburgh, raised in different towns, uh, and grew up to love hockey. So, I'm excited to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to chat. So let's start with something you and I are both passionate about, the Rondo. It's the ultimate tr hockey drill, and it's not done enough, uh, but it has so many elements that can transfer. So I'm wondering how you got into the Rondo, and what do you love about the Rondo itself? Yeah, the Rondo drill, just I, I got into kind of following some other sports with soccer and basketball and kind of seeing what they do um, with some of their skill development. Um, and the Rondo obviously is a, a big part of uh, you know, high level soccer, you see premier league teams doing it as their warm up. So uh, I don't think anyone's too good to, to kind of try something new and, and try and bring that into the hockey space. So, um, it was something, you know, again, it's essentially monkey in the middle. Every kid knows what monkey in the middle is. And it's just about, um, incorporating that in a fun way that that's allowing them to work on some of those skills, looking for spacing, things like that. What kind of issues do you find when you're running your rondos or like, what are some things that uh, coaches players should be aware of when they're running this? Like for me, I always notice on the circle, like the kids who are uncomfortable in tight spaces, like they'll start to back off the circle and encouraging them to stay on the circle is something I have to do so they can actually work the triangles, work the space, use deception, things like that. Yeah, I think. And then, you know, the number of kids around the circle, sometimes there's one too many. So, you know, it gets a little crowded, things like that. I think sometimes you see a kid end up being in the middle for a while, um, you know, as if there's too many kids and they can't quite cut off the passes. But um, yeah, I think overall, you know, adding some different constraints, like you can't pass to the person next to you. Um, you have to try and go through the defender, things like that um, adds another element, but can sometimes trip kids up if, if it kind of feels one step too far. Awesome. Awesome. Um, with that, it kind of leads into the idea of skill development. And for you, I'm curious, what is skill development? Um, skill development is the, the being able to apply the right skill at the right time within the right situation. And I think um, with hockey, it's, it's so much of creating the right environment um, to practice those skills. I, I, I don't like when I, you know, I don't like using objects on the ice. I don't like, seeing when coaches use a ton of objects on the ice. Um, I really think you've got to be able to try and replicate um, the environment as much as possible to actually improve those skills. Cause it, 
being able to do something around a cone, that's not really a skill. Being able to do something because you're at a stick positioning, a body positioning, um, that skill. So developing that area and the information players take in and, and the decision they make. We're just ripping through questions. You're super concise and well thought clearly here. Um, <laughs> Happy to expand on anything, but... <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Feel free to just go. Uh, I like to do little little talking and let you guys do all all the talking. I mean, you're you're the experts here, so um, curious. So we'll we'll expand on the skill development. So how do you actually enact player development or the skill development? We'll, we'll start with the on ice component. Yeah, um, I think one of the the big things is okay, looking at the game and trying to break that down into certain moments and then kind of sub moments from that and um, recognize what what skills are involved. So the, the skate, the decision-making, what information you have to take in and, um, and, you know, breaking those down, obviously you've got to work with, with kids and the players on technique and things like that in a, a slow controlled way. Um, and then slowly kind of start building and adding decision-making from there. So, um, I think that's one of the, the big things is, um, it's just, it's got to come from a moment that they're actually going to see in the game and then kind of breaking it down that way. Um, and then looking to build that back up. And, and I think one of the things um, I see, you know, coaching a lot of females, I kind of go, I work with boys and girls, but females are a little bit more literal. Um, so when I say, hey, you know, this is an opportunity in this situation to do this move or do this play, I'll see that rep, the same rep for every single kid, because they think that's exactly what I asked for. Um, and so then I'll see that. Whereas I'm, I'm like, you know, that was just an idea, you know, be creative, make the, make the right decision that you think based on the situation. Um, but I think, you know, that's kind of one of the things too, is like trying to understand how to get kids to be creative, um, backing off and not telling them exactly what to do, but just letting them kind of decide themselves and then come back and say, well, what else could you have done? And, um, and letting them get a lot of reps at that to try different things. Some will work, some won't. I think that's a fascinating point you just brought up of the fact that some kids, and I mean, probably there's a higher propensity um, in girls, but there's also some boys as well that are extremely literal and like finding ways to help them expand the possibilities and explore themselves and the situations is an absolutely critical thing. Um, I like that you're using a question to prompt that. Are there other ways or like, obviously you, you've been around and you understand what's going to happen. Are there ways you try to get ahead of it? Are you putting any questions? Are you putting out any material or priming yeah. these kids before they step on the ice? Yeah. It's something we've definitely experimented with and probably could do more. Um, I'd love to hear kind of how you approach that actually too, but um, you know, yeah, I think it's, Hey, here's uh, you know, the pucks in this spot it's a three on two, what are your options? And then letting the kids kind of as a group discuss those. Cause I think if you just point on the kid, right. Like they might not know they're not confident. Right. But kind of letting like the group think like letting them kind of come up with some ideas together. Um, and then kind of guiding them to, if you know, no one's coming up with one of the solutions you're thinking, um, kind of guiding them to that, but ultimately letting it be their idea. Um, and then I think, you know, that's off the ice and then you get on the ice and, and then looking for those and acknowledging those when they happen, or, you know, maybe a play doesn't work out, but they were looking for the right play. Like, Hey, that's what you're looking for. It didn't work, but don't be scared to try that again. I think that's the big thing. I think if kids get out there 
you know, you, you'd cock through this idea and they's like, they're like, it didn't work. It's like, no, but it was very close. Right. And then just kind of trying to be like, Hey, what could you have done a little differently? Um, maybe the timing was just a little bit off. Finding the lane was just a little like half second too slow. Um, but just encouraging them that, Hey, that's there. And then you kind of, it's been kind of fun to see the progression as, you know, maybe we didn't see the execution early on, but now towards the end of the season, um, you're starting to actually see some of those things uh, get executed in practice and in games, um, even though it, it didn't look very pretty early on. I'm curious how you kind of approach that as well with, with your groups. Yes. Yeah, so, so I've got a few ways, but I want to expand real quick on the idea you just brought up, which was execution versus decision-making, like the idea of just because the execution didn't work doesn't mean it's a bad idea. Or the one that I think most coaches struggle with is, well, the execution worked, but it was a really bad decision and it was more mm-hmm. luck than a good process. And we're always as coaches thinking about habits, process, how do we make sure majority of the time we're getting the right reads, the right results, uh, rather than focusing on the outcome? How do we focus more on the inputs and getting our players, parents, fellow coaches to focus on the decision rather than the execution? Because I think that's a key delineation that a lot of people don't think about, especially when they're starting out coaching, is the idea of coaching the decision versus coaching the execution. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's no like right or wrong, I guess, but um, you know, this past weekend, there was a, we were, we had a practice for one of our teams and, you know, the girl, the defenseman kind of skated the puck up the ice because she saw an open lane, but there was also, you know, two people ahead of her and, and ultimately it worked out. She went down, scored a nice goal. And so she comes back and I'm like, look, I love that you took the space. I, the play worked out. I have no complaints with that, but here was another option. You know, you had a quick pass that you could have gotten the puck back for kind of a quick give and go. Um, and just kind of talking through that. And sometimes you get some confused looks on the kids' faces, like, but I scored, you know, like, but it works. And I'm like, yes, happy about that. Love that. If you have an opportunity and that's the right play to make, go ahead. But in that moment, you think you could have moved the puck and tried to get it back. So just kind of walking through that, obviously video, um, how easily accessible it is now makes it so much easier. It's almost, almost too much. Like after games, we'll get kids that are like, click the thing and watch all their shifts. And it's like, okay, like take a, take a little step back, like detach from the game a little bit and, um, come back a little, little fresh with a new, you know, new perspective the next day, if it wasn't a good game or was a great game, I guess. But, um, yeah, I think definitely video helps with that just to show, the options and kind of recreate the scenario and walk through that with the players and, and, you know, the whole team as well. Yeah, that's massive. Video is massive. I remember the first time, cause I, I was right on the cusp. So I didn't exactly see a ton of video until I was in college and then realizing how terrible I truly was. Uh, after thinking <laughs> you're so amazing for all these years. Uh, no, but I, I do love video. I think it, it's super helpful. Um, even like practices, like I'll mm-hmm. go back and, and rewatch practice. Um, and, and with video, I found it to be very tricky. So I'm curious on how you approach video sessions with your teams. Because I know coaches that are kind of looking for all the mistakes that led to goals and like those are the corrective points or other coaches that gear more towards just like highlight reels almost like, oh, I love this, this and that. Um, and then obviously there's the spectrum in between. I'm curious how you set it up, what your focus is, what your thoughts are as you're approaching that. 
Uh, it depends. Depends where we're at in the season. Depends what we're kind of focused on. Um, we tried to break up kind of like our skill development aspect into kind of like two week chunks with different focus areas. So if we're working on a certain skill, you know, picking up wall passes, wall play, things like that, we'll hone in some video clips more in that area. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, we're definitely not the the highlight realty. Like obviously you want to show the kids the good stuff and, and end on a positive note, but I've always kind of looked at it like, Hey, the video doesn't lie. Like we could think we play good or vice versa. Like we know we didn't play well. So, Hey, let's, let's just own up to it. Let's just watch our mistakes. And then again, I, I just always go to the kids. Like a lot of these mistakes we make, they're in our control to fix, right? Like we're in a contained space. A lot of it's just, Hey, if we just picked up a stick, if we just did a quick shoulder check. Right. And so I think it's also reinforcing the confidence that, these mistakes, they're not huge, right? They're always these little things that add up for a goal against or a tough, you know, tough opportunity against things like that. It's never just the one. So it's also playing it back of, okay, probably all five people on this play made a mistake for it to get to this point. Um, and so I think highlighting that is, you know, we never look to single a kid out on it, right? Like how did it get to that kid? Well, it probably got through the four other people or a bad decision earlier on in the shift that, um, did it. So it's kind of looking at it from a group perspective, like we're a unit out there. Um, as a unit, we didn't, you know, execute on whether the habits, the decision making, whatever it is, um, in order to, to stop that chance or things like that. So I think it's also, you know, it's acknowledging the mistake, but it's acknowledging that it's fixable. It's not an overhaul that we have to do. It's just a little bit of a different decision at a different time a little extra habit of, again, picking up a stick or making a slightly different read or, um, and so I think it also kind of instills confidence that, okay, Hey, that team made a good play. We could have done better. We can fix this. And it's not going to take the entire season. It just takes a little bit of, you know, extra focus here, um, and a little extra practice with certain reps in different situations. Yeah. And, it, and it's super difficult as well because like you don't want to create an environment where the kid's just deathly scared of going mm -hmm. to film because they just don't want to be the one that gets singled out or like or I'm part of the problem you know or mm -hmm. anything like that and I was talking with Dominic Pittis who, who was coaching the Stockton uh, Heat a few years ago and he said like the biggest thing from feedback was like that it literally hit a player at the end of the season was like I in video paid enough attention to make sure that I wasn't the one on the video screen. So like finding that right level yeah. of corrections versus showing the good stuff of like things we want to continue to super difficult as a coach. Yeah. Um, and we kind of let the, like, we'll play a clip through and just say, what did you guys see there? Like we're watching us on this one or, Hey, we're watching the other team. Let's see what they did. Well, and just kind of let them come up with, and again, we'd almost never even say the kids' names on the videos. It's like, hey, the winger here, the center, right? Like the center needs to be doing this. And and anytime, I guess, for any team, right? Like typically if you're showing a situation, it probably came up more than once if you're deciding to show it. Like it's a recurring theme of so it's also the kind of qualifier of, hey, this is just one example. This happened a lot throughout the game. So um, like every line ran into this, every D pair we kind of saw this with and just kind of this is just one example, but Hey, this is something we all need to kind of be aware of. Yeah. And I love that question. What did you see? I feel like it's the best question in hockey, like, mm -hmm. because it, it gives you the idea of where the kids are at and like, did, 
they just not see it. Like maybe like we can see it from high up and super easy, but maybe they didn't take the shoulder check. Like mm-hmm. it allows us to figure out where they are in that process and like be that, that Sherpa. I call it, I think I'm a, oh, a coaching Sherpa. I just Sherpa along the, the group. Here. Yeah. Like, realistically, they are the ones that have to take control. And if they're not seeing it, well, how can I help them see it better? Mm-hmm. Or if they're making the wrong reads, okay, clearly they're picking up the wrong information. Just continue to build along that decision-making tree. Uh, so I mm-hmm. love that. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's also the balance of you get the same five kids that always see it first and they usually see what we're at, we're looking for. And then there's the quiet group that, you don't hear from often. So sometimes it is calling on a kid just because, you know, maybe don't call on them first, but I think just making sure I, I don't think we have an issue with engagement. All the kids are pretty engaged with our video sessions, but that they actually understand what we're looking for in that clip and not just like, okay, so-and-so said this, I guess that's the right answer, you know? So it's just that balance of not calling kids out every time. So they're, you know, fearful of it, but um, that they actually truly understand. And sometimes it's just pulling them to the side after and, and going through it one more time and actually hearing their perspective on it. Yeah. Or it's, it's fascinating. You randomly call on someone for the first time and suddenly the entire group perks up. Like that's always a fun one for, yeah. (laughs) They're like, wait, this is different. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's like, you know, coaching is all about in any kind of mentorship, parenting, whatever is all about finding that balance. So I always find mm-hmm. it interesting to see where people fall on that. So that, that's excellent. Um, and I know that you and I are both big fans of going beyond the ice uh, mm-hmm. for development and really thinking holistically about development. I'm curious what that is for you. Um, I guess it's a lot of things. Um, yeah, I just think there's, so much more to development. Like you, you've written about this a lot, but that's been just the on ice component, right? Like um, where the kids are at mentally, they're dealing, you know, especially these high school kids or even college kids, right. They're dealing with school. They're dealing with social, social aspects. They have lives outside of the rink, even though I think sometimes as coaches, we forget that. And, you know, we spend so much time in it that we think the kids are, are right there each every day. Um, like our U19 girls team, it's actually like modeled after like a junior team. So we practice four days a week. It's about five hours of ice time of just practice each week. And, um, you know, they have professional off ice twice a week. We bring in sports psychologists, you know, every so often. And, and so we're asking a lot of the kids in terms of being at the rink for three to four hours a day, four or five days a week at a minimum. Um, and so I think just, you know, there's that aspect that we can, kind of control the environment, but then, you know, they're away from the rink. A lot of time they've got school, they've got other things that they're, they're focused on and interested in. And I think, um, you know, getting to, to know the players and then kind of what their goals are and, and things like that helps steer, you know, what direction they're looking to develop. Some of the kids want to play D1 hockey. Some are like, yeah, I just want to go to a really good school. And if they happen to have a club program, you know, I'd love to play, but if not like no problem. So I think just meeting each kid where they're at and understanding their goals and then working backwards to find a plan. Like, okay, how are we going to get you there? You want to do this. So we've got to work on X, Y, Z. We've got to make sure you're reaching out to these kind of college coaches. You're going to these kind of events, things like that. Um, but yeah, it's so much of it is the, the mental game and nutrition recovery, all these things that again, we ask a lot of the kids sometimes, but, um, it's, it's habits that they're going to have with them for the rest of their lives. So I think, uh, you know, holding them accountable to those, those now, um, definitely helps them down the road as well. I, I love that last part. Um, 
skills that they will take with them for the rest of their lives. Like I for, I feel like everyone forgets the reason why sports clubs, like it's very prevalent in, in European soccer. Like this club was, you know, made by Arsenal workers. So now you've got Arsenal FC, like, mm-hmm. like the idea was to provide them enrichment beyond the day-to-day grind, give them skills, mentorship, a place to socialize, like all of these things that we need as humans and really enrich our lives. Um, and I just love the fact that you're bringing that up and creating habits for life. Um, even like just nutrition and recovery, like how many people in life do not eat well, they don't sleep well. And that's like the easiest performance enhancer ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that and, you know, um, mostly the first half of the year, we've been just traveling so much the second half, but like at the end of every week, um, when we didn't have a lot of games going on, I would just, Hey, wh- what scale did you really focus on? You know, like almost like a little bit of a journaling thing. We give them all binders with a bunch of our systems and, and things like that. But then it's also in the back, there's some pages that, you know, what'd you focus on this week? What could have gone better? What, you know, what are you proud of? Things like that. And I think, and then it's also kind of like, okay, a little bit of a habit of reflection, self-reflection, um, you know, for your own development and kind of, um, self-improvement there. So, yeah, I think that's kind of, I mean, the, the wins and lot, like it's, it is what it is. Like, um, you know, we'd rather our kids go have success at the next level than win a national championship. Like that's what it's about. We want them to, you know, go be productive members of society, but, you know, be, be good players for whatever team they're on next, be good students. And, um, and yeah, hopefully we can give them some tips along the way, whether, you know, on the ice or off the ice that, okay, they carry over into, you know, how they're going to act, um, on the ice and off the ice, wherever they go next. Yeah. I love that. And, uh, I always found this quote hilarious because myself and the gentleman who's the head coach at Akron, um, we basically were like, okay, what do we actually do? We, we don't coach hockey. We create taxpayers. <laughs> yeah. Functioning members of society that are paying into the bucket. Uh, so I always crack up That's with that. That's a good point. Yeah. It's a little, <laughs> little depressing, but. <laughs> it, it is in, in a shape and form, but uh, I mean, at the ultimate, that's what you truly want. You want people to be productive. So they're mm-hmm. taxpayers. I mean, yeah, call what you say, want. Technically that is the, the, the path everyone takes. <laughs> yeah. Even if you're a professional athlete, you're, you're paying into the bucket. So it's that's great. True. Yeah. Um, no, that's awesome. Get, getting back to the on ice component, I'm curious um, about your thoughts on positioning. I know some coaches that like, okay, I need to set my kid's position. They feel comfortable in there. They're able to expand from there. And then I know others that are like positions. What are those? I throw defense on forwards, forwards on defense. Doesn't matter if it's practice or a game. Everyone's playing everything at some point in the in the season. Um, obviously, at the younger levels, more propensity for coaches to do that and upper levels, maybe a little bit less. I'm curious your thoughts on playing positions. When should that set? Should you continue to change it? Like I know Scotty Bowman had Fedorov playing defense in practice and eventually like, I think it was the blue jackets ended up actually playing him at defense. And that was at the NHL level that he made the position switch or like a Brent Burns. Yeah. Um, But some people I know are deathly scared of doing that because they don't want to throw off players, mental um, games and confidence and et cetera. I'm probably somewhere in the middle. Um, I, I love having, you know, we, we encourage forwards jump in as D and reps in practice, vice versa, D jump in as forwards. Again, I just, you see it differently. Um, so I think that's, I think that's super important. You know, we've had injuries this season and we've asked a couple of our forwards that hey, you got to play D all weekend. Like we're down to three D we need some help, you know, and, 
and the kids are more than willing to do. And I think when they do go back to forward, they're like, okay, I do see the game differently. I see where I need to be on the breakout a little bit of a better option because, Hey, I've realized like as a D right, the forwards aren't, aren't where we usually were like wanting them to be. Um, so I think definitely at the younger levels, it's, it's super easy to, to do that. And I, I definitely think that, you know, I don't know, up until 12, things like that should be pretty commonplace that kids are just, Hey, you know, you're playing this one, this shift, you're playing forward next shift, things like that. Um, and being able to switch back and forth. So again, they're more just understand the concepts and not, well, I'm a left wing, you know, and getting kind of stuck in that, I think. Um, and I think too, it's also for the, the higher, like I talked to college coaches that they love that they can move people around, right. You just understand the game as a whole versus understanding a position. I remember even in college, like we had a couple centers that were out and I moved from D to center for a couple games. And, um, but it's just, okay. I understood the four check, like a one, two, two, right. It was just, I knew the role. It didn't really matter what position it was just like, I understood the systems, um, and you know, the, the style of play that we were trying to play with. So, um, I think that's huge for kids to just be comfortable with. And I think also how you address it with kids. I think some kids will be like, Oh no, they're moving me to a different position. I'm, I'm looking at it as a negative. I must've been the worst one because now they're moving me back. And it's like, actually, you're just the kid that under, I believe that can understand what it's like to play a different position best. Um, you know, not every kid will have success with that. I think you just have to kind of stomach the, the mistakes that'll be made along the way. And that's why we do it a lot in practice, just because it's obviously a low pressure environment and, and they do learn from it. Um, but I always tell kids to look at it as a compliment. If we're willing to put you in a game in a different position, it's because you can understand the game from all those levels versus the kids that are just, you know, at this point, 16, 17, 18, they pretty much just understand the wing position and it's going to be tough to move them, you know, especially in a, a competitive game um, from that. So I always just make sure kids try and look at it as say, it's actually like a testament to you because you understand the game all around, not just one position. Yeah, that that's massive. And I've had many players fight me on like, I'm not going to defense. Like, yeah. No, no, you are like, and then when they finally come back, from defense to offense, they say the exact same thing. Oh man, that was really helpful. Like I see the game much better now. And it's like, trust me, I, I got you. I got your back. Like mm -hmm. I've never met a coach that doesn't want the best for the kids, whether they're right or wrong on a lot of the decisions to be determined, but yeah. I've never seen someone who didn't try to put you in the best position to succeed. Yeah. So. No, the one thing I've, I've heard from parents before, like, which kind of bugs me, especially at, you know, we're talking like 12, 13, 14 year old kids. They're like, well, you know, we're playing a competitive team. Maybe we'll hide little Susie up on forward. Cause she's not going to like do well at D against this team. And I'm like, but she likes playing defense. We're trying to develop her as like, that's where she wants to play. Yeah. I'm fine moving kids around, but I'm not going to move her because we're trying to hide her in a U14 game, you know? So I think that always kind of grinds my gears too, of like, what are we doing here? If that's, that's our mentality. Um, to just win a game that no one's going to ever remember, you know? So I think that's part of it too. It's, I always struggle with this because it's like timelines. Like for me as a coach, I'm always thinking three years out, like how am I preparing my kids for three years from now or mm -hmm. preparing for the next season or two seasons beyond. And like, I have much longer timelines than I feel like most 
other people yeah. in their Usually lives the or other stakeholders <laughs> of the team. Like, like it's very short, like, oh, we want to win the weekend. Like, okay, yeah. well, that's great. And yeah, I do enjoy winning, mm-hmm. but I'm thinking about how am I developing this player? How am I developing this person for a really long time rather than this short? Like we need to win this and line matching. Yeah. Um, and, and trust me, I've, I've been there with everyone else of like line matching and mm-hmm. sitting a kid down. And, and now I'm to the point I'm like, ah, I don't think I'd ever do that again. Like at the end of the day, there's so many things that go into that. Like, yeah, you might get a short term goal. Now your t- players are more tired, um, especially at the youth levels. Like the, the fitness is not there anyways. Yeah. Where it should be. So like, are we doing really more harm than good? Are we psychologically letting the top players slack off a little bit earlier? Cause they know they're going to get the ice time later. Like yeah. I, I just find so many reasons not to do that anymore. So I'm curious of, of where you stand on that. Cause I, I I'm with you right now. Of like I have a really long time horizon of when I'm thinking about these players and not just players, but also as people like, how do you fit that into the framework or get people that have the shorter time horizons to elongate that and see the full picture a little bit more? Yeah, I think it kind of depends where you're on your season too. Like you know, early in the season, it's like every kid should get power play reps. Every kid should get penalty kill. Like one, we got to see how they do. It's, we've got some new kids, right? So I want to give everyone a fair chance. And two, like they do need these skills. Like they need to understand the structure of a power play. What seems so, you know, like what kind of puck movement we're looking for, vice versa, the penalty kill. Like, so every kid, I think that first half of the season, 100%, like, and I, you know, at the younger age groups, I think all season long, you just kind of do that. But I think with this older age group, I think we've pretty much the first half, it's like, Hey, we're rolling. Everyone's getting opportunities in every situation. We've all got to learn how to play with a, you know, a one goal lead with 30 seconds left on the clock and a D zone face off. So a line that we maybe wouldn't put out in, you know, our district tournament coming up, they get an opportunity early on because you need to know how to play in that situation. And I think too, it's, well, what if your top kid gets hurt? Like you're relying on them and all these kids have never even touched the puck in a power play situation or things like that. And now you're throwing a kid on there and they don't have confidence. So um, I think, you know, as the season progresses, totally understand like, okay, yeah, you kind of figure out which kids, um, you know, thrive in certain situations and you kind of maybe make decisions that way. But for me, it's like, again, is it worth a kid not developing certain skills at all for the benefit of like maybe winning a youth hockey game. I don't know. Like, you know, just again. like the psychology of like telling little Sally, like she's got to sit for yeah. someone else to go. Like that could be absolutely devastating. And suddenly they start playing worse because you sat them once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think as the season goes on, I think kids kind of understand it, but even just having conversations with some of the kids, like, you know, Hey, we're putting them in this situation for this reason, but Hey, you're going to play in this, you know, you're going to, you're going to get, make sure we get you out there for these situations. Um, and so I think, you know, it comes down to the communication. I think it's how you phrase it. I think it's making sure that, yeah, they don't feel like they're getting skipped or that, Hey, I'm going to get you right back out there. Like, you're not going to miss your whole opportunity. You're going to play the second half of it or something like that. Um, and so I think just getting them exposure into all those situations. Yeah. And I've also find it difficult. I'm not sure every coach has experienced this or paid attention to it. Just like the kids that are going above those kids, like they're the ones going out at the expense of others. Like sometimes that can be very awkward for them, especially if it's their first time kind of experiencing yeah. that because they're worried about the social dynamics of the group. Like I've 
noticed that with people when I've gone to rinks and watched games from afar, even just like noticing eh, they don't exactly look comfortable. Like they're looking back at the coach, like, you sure you really want to do this? Like, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Actually. I have noticed that this year, especially with, you know, some of that, like, it's that kind of age that 12, 14, 50, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, that it's an interesting social dynamic as well. Um, but I, I think too, the, the flip side of that is, okay, if you're one of the kids that didn't get to go out in that situation, how are you, like, are you pouting? Are you just zoning out now? Are you like, well, the coach didn't put me out in this, you know? And so it's also from the perspective of, well, Hey, be happy for that kid. That's getting this opportunity. Cause you want your teammates to be happy for you. You know, it's, we always keep saying, it's not about you. It's about the person next to you and um, being genuinely happy when, because again, you, again, just use a power play example, like, you get a power play late in the game and you put out certain kids and sure some kids are going to be hurt that they're not one of those five or six, you know, six that you pull the goalie, but Hey, this is a great opportunity for our team. Like if we're thinking team first, like this is a great opportunity for us to get excited because Hey, we might tie this game up. We might win this game in this situation. Um, and let's be happy for the people that are out there because you might be that person next. And so kind of, that mindset as well and, and yeah it is like the kids that sometimes go out and they're like looking back like uh are you sure um but i think just finding that balance of if you're out there go out there be confident and then people on the bench like be happy for those people because again you want those people to be happy for you when you get to go out that's excellent i love that um and how so how do you like research and choose a place that like you're going to feel comfortable developing like like it's really hard to judge like culture that would be genuinely happy for each other or whatever, or just, I'm curious if your process or what you'd give recommendations on choosing a program and finding a place uh, to spend a season. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think, you know, if you have the opportunity to like talk to the coaches, I think you can tell pretty quickly if it's a genuine thing or if it just feels like, you know, words on a website. Um, I think if, you know, obviously players that have gone through it, I think if you can talk to a player and be like, you know, I understand what the day-to-day -day like, what the locker room environment is like, you know, the, what the, um, how the coaches approach development. Um, I think being able to actually like talk to players and, and, and families that have gone through it, I think is, is pretty impactful and you get kind of a, an honest view, I guess, depends who you ask if they had a good experience or not in terms of, you know, how that conversation goes, but um, yeah, I think just being able to kind of see different perspectives, talk to the coaches, talk to, you know, players that have gone through it and things like that. And, um, yeah, I think it just comes down to, to researching and, and seeing what the right fit, you know, how many practices you get, how many games, how they approach practices, you know, all those different things. And kind of, again, what's the other development outside of just the on ice component that, you know, your kid's going to get, you know, are they going to, get office training, are they going to get some of these different areas um, and being able to evaluate, you know, what's the right next step for, for your kid. It's different for everybody. Love that. So many different, I mean, it's so super difficult, especially if you're going to a level where maybe you now need to switch schools, go to mm -hmm. Shattuck St. Mary's, you know, things like that. Yeah. Like how do you properly get an eyeball on that? If you may not know, many people of that. So I think that's really interesting being able to track those people down or asking coaches for contacts of, 
old players and parents and being able to ask them questions that that's awesome. Yeah. And I think too, like on that note, like, I guess it depends what age you are, right. If you're like 10, 12, like it's a little different, but you know, we actually have some kids that come billet with us for our U19 team. And I think it's actually like come to the ring, come to the facility, like actually get here. It's what we tell kids when they go visit colleges as well. Like you got to be on campus to like really know if you're going to like it. It's so hard to tell from pictures. It's so hard to tell what the feel is going to be like until you're actually there. Um, so I always think that's, you know, advice as well, just actually like going to the the team or the program you're thinking about. And like, can you see yourself here? You know, if you're practicing four or five days a week, would you be happy doing that here? Um, and I think that's an important aspect as well as the actual feel when you get to a certain place, the rink, the gym, you know, the school that you might be going to or things like that. Um, are just super important. Well said, well said. Um, and obviously you're doing a lot of that. So I'm curious about how you set up your program. What are like the key tenants of your program? Obviously with the Carolina Hurricanes, I'm assuming that they help a little bit uh, with the program. It's not just you on an island. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, the Carolina Junior Hurricanes. So obviously there's some nice support, um, you know, there from from the the big NHL organization. But um, yeah, I think, you know, within each team in the pro, it's, it's just cool to see the growth of the game. Like when I was 11 years old, we moved, you know, I was moved down here and I was 10, 11, there was zero girls teams. And even the organizations, there was a couple different, you know, travel organizations, things like that. And kids were kind of, there's already a small market that's already kind of watered down now because kids are everywhere. And this has allowed, um, you know, everyone to kind of come over under one umbrella and, and have that support of the, the hurricanes organization. Um, but now we've got 10 travel girls teams, you know, ones like this full-time team with our U19 team. So it's been exciting to see the growth of that. And, um, you know, I think just with, within our team, it's, you know, commitment, unity, and respect are kind of those core values we have, um, within our program. And I think those are big things. We, you know, again, we ask a lot of the kids, a lot of them are used to practicing two days a week. And now we're asking them to practice four days a week, almost five hours. So showing up is the bare minimum, right? Like we don't get excited that you show up. Like that's the, that's the very bare minimum that we expect everyone to show up every day. Now, how hard are you working when you get here? How committed are you to the, the office components when you're not at the rink? How committed are you to, you know, we talk about getting 1% better every day, like talk, how committed are you to like setting a goal and then working hard to achieve it? So um, those are kind of the big things for, for us and the organization, I think. Um, and it's cool when you get, Obviously, we've got our junior hurricanes, but then you get Rod Brindamore that's at the ring coaching his son's U10 practice on an off night. And, you know, you have this kind of cool community feel with that as well. And it all kind of helps build um, build up hockey in this area. That's awesome. I love that Brendamore. Like, he's just, ah, I'm at the rink. Like, oh, yeah, he's doing video. He probably wants to get out of the rink. U10 team. No, he loves it. Like, he would spend all day there, I think, if he could. He just, like, genuinely loves working with with kids, obviously his son's team, um, is with the junior canes and, you know, just, he loves just sharing his knowledge with kids of all ages. It's, it's pretty cool. He's so passionate. So what's the biggest thing you've taken away from Rod the Bod? Um, I mean, obviously his work ethic, but I, I think he's just, he's very, he's so authentic. Like you, you see him in interviews and things like that. Like that's the same guy that when he's coaching, helping comes help out at the Kane summer camps and, you know, coaching, whatever, like it's the same person. And I think that's pretty unique. Um, and obviously he just has such a storied career and 
especially legacy around here, winning the cup in 06 and things like that. So, um, it's just pretty cool that, you know, it's kind of come full circle for him. And, and obviously he's a, a big part of the hockey community down here. All right. I love curveball questions. So I'm going to throw an oddly specific one at you and you can tell me to shove it if you want. Um, pivoting between the lower levels versus the higher levels is completely different. What would you say is that complete difference? What's the difference between someone pivoting? Maybe they're starting out versus someone who's playing at the highest levels. For actually like a player or for coaching player. Yeah. They're, they're on the ice. They've got to change directions and pivot. Oh, like actually pivoting on the ice. Yeah. Like on oh, ice sorry, I think that like pivoting, like from a next one level to the next level. <laughs> um, uh, knee bend. I think being able to stay low and comfortable on your edges is probably the biggest difference you just see with, you know, people that are beginners and need a little extra help. Like it's just trusting your edges. Um, you know, to make, change that change direction. I think you just get a lot of stiff. It's, it's like me when I go skiing, I'm new to skiing and I'm like so stiff, right? Like, even though I should feel a little bit more like comfortable because everyone's like, oh, skiing's like not that different, but it is. And so I think um, I'm like very stiff when I like am trying to change directions. And I think that's what I feel like people on the ice when they're newer to hockey and trying to change directions like that. It's just the comfortability to stay loose, bend your knees, and be able to kind of trust those edges a little bit. Yeah. And then from like a defensive standpoint, like say a puck's dumped in, what would you say is like the difference between uh, like a squirt level or PB level versus a U19 level? Like what, what kind of pivoting are you seeing between the two? Um, a lot of the younger kids will just like, they'll just pivot wherever their momentum is. Right. Like just to the outside. Um, I think a lot of the higher, as you get to higher levels, they make sure they pivot to the inside. Um, when they're going back to get a puck and obviously the shoulder check aspect, I think that's the, the biggest thing you see with the, the younger kids. They're just so focused on um, quickly just moving their feet as fast as possible and just sprinting back. Uh, whereas, you know, I think the older, more advanced players, like as they're pivoting, they're doing that shoulder check, do a quick scan and, um, and then they're going back to get it. But I think the limiting the amount of crossovers is kind of the more advanced version um, and being able to kind of open those hips a little bit to, to not slow you down and also not kind of get your feet caught up if you're, you know, trying to move too quick. Brilliance. That was a quality answer. So, <laughs> so, uh, it would say you knock the curveball out of the ballpark. Yeah. Sorry. I was not falling at first. I'm like, Kenny, I was like, what do you mean pivoting from a new player to a more advanced Ter player? Terrible question. Asker. <laughs> I, you can, you can blame that no, one no, on that me. Was all good. The way. That was good. It was a curveball. I, I just had to understand it. Yeah, exactly. That one's on me. I'll, I'll eat that one. You, you knocked that one out of the ballpark. So nicely done. Um, so that's the end of my question list. What are some hot topics that we should talk about here? I feel like we, we got time for one more. Um, I mean, I think women's hockey. Um, I think obviously the, the success of the last Olympics uh, or the most recent Olympics here, uh, Canada, U.S. I think it was the most watched hockey game in, in the U.S. in three years um, men's or women's. So that's exciting. Obviously, um, just two really, really talented teams and programs. And I think it's an exciting step for the, the future of women's hockey to have, um, to take that next step with a kind of a truly professional league that allows players to do that full time. So, um, yeah, hopefully that's a, that's a big part of what's coming up next on the hockey horizon. Yeah. I'm curious your thoughts on the development of beyond us and Canada. Cause I feel like us and Canada have done a really nice job at developing the programs and obviously the, 
you want the league to be uh, in a good spot as well. So there's more focus on playing and being professional, but I'm curious about how do we make this competitive? Like, you know, world juniors are won by Finland. You've seen Sweden mm-hmm. and Russia and all these other countries. And it's really fun when there's a lot of competitiveness, uh, same with the NHL when there's a lot of parody, it's, it's a lot of fun. I'm curious your thoughts on maybe how can we help them improve a little bit? Yeah, I actually saw, um, Belfry's like European coalition thing, or, you know, it kind of broke that. And that was really interesting to just kind of think about and read. I think at the end of the day, it comes down to, to dollars and how much countries are willing to spend on, you know, developing the female side. I think, um, being able to, it's interesting because if you have a truly professional league, like you do with the NHL, well, okay. Those kids are looking at the Sebastian Ajos. They're looking at the Patrick line, right? Like they can see those guys at the click of a button to watch YouTube highlights and things like that. We don't really have that at all. So even, you know, young players in the U S and Canada don't have that easily easy accessibility to the, the highest level. Um, but then especially countries like Finland and Sweden and things like that, like, they really don't see those players that often. Um, and then obviously COVID kind of hurt, hurt a lot of the world championship and four nations tournaments and things like that, where you could get opportunities. But I think, you know, it comes down to, to continue to grow at the grassroots level at the same time as creating a, a top tier option that young players, boys or girls can look up to um, and have something to aim for that, that they can watch consistently that they can get to know who you know who these players are and things like that I think it it, it comes down to a lot of that for um you know the European countries and the the funding to allow those players to be supported and and train at a high level um you know not just leading up to a tournament but you know in every all those four-year gaps yeah I I always wonder if there's something to do with how we organize ourselves because Europe's such a club base, like the clubs fund all of this development most of the times. And it's, you know, at the highest professional. So they like, they truly would need like a professional team to be viable and be able to feed down because that's how they've organized themselves compared to the U S where we or Canada, where we kind of like self-fund a lot of this and have so many grassroots and kind of build from the bottom up rather than going top down where it's more in the European countries. And how does that affect how many people are involved, how good this coaching is, et cetera. So I thought mm-hmm. that was a really interesting. And even just like the, the Belfry piece of like, how would you break it up in the face? I think there's so many good development things, but also just like how you have to organize yourself to grow the game is absolutely fascinating. Yeah. But then there's, there's some, like, I, I love uh, Tomas Pacino or Pacina in Czech Republic. Like I thought their tactics were like mind blowing. Like yeah. anyone can learn from those. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was, it was really fun to watch. Obviously, yeah, you, you get the, the blowout games and people are like, oh, you know, and then you get the, they, they find a way to keep it close and, and it makes it exciting. And, um, and it's obviously so great for those countries as well that um, they can find a way to take that step by just implementing, you know, a certain strategy and things like that. But obviously, I think some of those, I mean, a lot of those countries have really phenomenally talented players that, you know, would love to play full time, but it's just the, the reality is that that's not possible right now for a lot of people. So um, I think, you know, having that opportunity to have like a a truly professional women's league where they could train full time and, and, um, and, you know, even the U S and Canada women, like a lot of them, other than centralization leading up to the Olympics for five, six months, they're kind of just in these little pods right now. Right. Like it's 
pretty cool to think how much higher the women's game could get if there was actually that consistency um, where that was like your only focus and not, you know, working full time and then having to do small group skills and train on your own and all these different things. So um, hopefully that's the next step. Yeah, that would be exciting. Um, I've got in my backyard, the OSU women's team there, I think they're ranked second or third in the country. So Very good. yeah, I, I go out to a game or two and you see so many uh, girls out there and they're so excited. So I, I love the fact that you have the accessibility to teams like that. And it's fun to see it continue to grow. And we just announced in Columbus, the, the AAA junior jackets women's program. So oh, nice. uh, exciting That's times great. over here as well. So if you know that anyone, we're looking for, for someone to take over that hockey director. For the women's <laughs> yeah. side. No, that's, I mean, it's exciting that I know, um, the air like Lindsay Fry in Arizona with the coyotes, like I know the Kachina organization just went tier one, you know, they've been building and growing for the last 10 years and, and now they have enough kids to, to go for that tier one. So it's, it's great. Like it's, it's all going in the right direction and, um, just a matter of, you know, capitalizing on it at the right time with, you know, the right funding and not trying to, to rush anything, but, but to do it the right way for the, the sake of the players and the longevity of the future of the game. Awesome. Well, this was a fantastic episode. I'm excited to release it. So thank you so much, Alyssa, for coming on. Really appreciate your insight and genius thoughts and terrible questions for me. And yeah, yeah, you had to put up with a lot. So thank you so much. No, thank you, Greg. Appreciate it. And love uh, listening to the podcast and all the, the great hockey minds you have on. So thank you so much. That concludes this week's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Hockey IQ. If you haven't already, take a quick moment to hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and drop a review. If you want to be a great teammate, even recommend us to a friend. You can follow us at Hockey's Arsenal on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the website, hockeysarsenal.com, where you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter. You won't regret it. Catch you Buttes here next week for a brand new episode.